Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, last week, I began a series entitled More. Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago, but we really got going last week, I suppose, right? And it's a study of 1 Thessalonians for us to see more of all that God has for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand throughout this series that God is working for more through the gospel. More faith in you, more love for you, and and more hope in you. And as we will say often throughout this study, to know God is to long for more Jesus. And so I hope and pray that in all of these labors, they cultivate a deeper and a more satisfying longing for Jesus Christ in your life in every area and every way and to every extent that God has for you. And today I want to begin by asking you a question that gets our minds set on the matter for today. What are you cultivating in your life? What are you cultivating with your practices and your rhythms, with the the habits that you have, uh, your goings and your doings, you might say? What are you cultivating in your life? Do you think much about that? Well, today I want us to look, as we finish chapter 1, I want us to look at a life that cultivates more. You know, last week we talked about the God who works for more because Paul is recollecting what took place when he began to preach the gospel in Thessalonica. And then after he left, all that God continued to do and what he's going to encourage the Thessalonians in throughout this letter is that what God has started, God wants to bring to completion. He wants to finish. He wants to give you more than what you've had in the past and maybe even where you are today, that he has more for you, more of godliness, more blessing, more enrichment of joy, of faith and love and hope and peace that we have in Christ. He has more for you. And there is a way that Paul will share with us today how we cultivate this more in our life. I want to go back to verse 2 of chapter 1 and I want to pick up there and read through verse 10 because I want us to have a context on the verses that we'll look at this morning. So let me begin by reading God's word for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. I want to talk to you this morning about the life that cultivates more. You see, once Paul identifies how it is that God was working from the beginning in Thessalonica to do what God wanted to do, He now begins to move and describe how it is that the gospel took root among the people to form a community of Christ followers and to bring more, if you will. You see, we ask today, what is it that God has ordained, that God has put his stamp of approval upon to accompany this gospel message? And what I want to begin with this morning is to see a gospel pattern that takes place in these verses, a gospel pattern. He says this in the second part of verse 5b, as he transitions from the way God worked He begins with this. He says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In this gospel pattern, the first thing we see is that those who preached the gospel provided a model of gospel power by their very lives. It was not hollow and empty words that were brought by Paul and his companions, but rather it was a message that was demonstrated through their lives by their own change from gospel power. They weren't traveling salesmen, they weren't just purveyor of goods, but rather they were men whose lives had been radically changed by the power of the gospel. You see, friends, conviction rests first in the one sharing the gospel as much as it works as we saw last week in the one hearing the gospel. For the gospel message came with great power because it was proved, modeled in their life. And the way that God ordains for the gospel to go forth is by those whose lives have been changed by it. They're not hired guns, so to speak. They are models that prove the message that they are sharing. For the person who is not living a life of faith, a life of hope, or a a life of love cannot share the same with others. And the first aspect of this gospel pattern that we see is that the gospel they preached was proved in their living. And then he says, verse 6, For you became imitators of us and of the Lord because you received the word in much affliction with the joy 
of the Holy Spirit. So not only did the message come by the model of those who proved what they were saying, but those who believed the message and embraced the gospel became imitators of those gospel models. Now don't miss this aspect of the story. Before anyone in Thessalonica saw the model proven or saw the message proven by the model of the lives preaching it, this imitation was already taking place. For Paul didn't travel alone. He traveled with a a, a companion, Silas and Timothy and Titus. And there were a number that we know were regular travelers with Paul. And then as a church would get formed, Paul would go, you stay here, continue to do the work of the gospel. We're going to keep moving on. And that's what took place at Thessalonica, except none of the companions stayed. The only people that stayed were the people that lived there who had heard and embraced the message. But before they could imitate the model, the model had already been imitated by those who were traveling with Paul, who had heard the gospel and believed in Jesus and now were beginning to imitate that life that they had seen in its hearing. The gospel message, friends, comes with a model of its power that it might replicate that model through imitation. Never underestimate the importance and the critical nature of the church for your life. For it is the people among whom God has ordained a model to be set before you that you might see it, and in the seeing of it, what you hear might be proven through it so that you can imitate it with your life. Fellowship, community, this is the purpose of it. You know, pictures help us understand, do they not? I know some of you are hyper type A. You refuse to work the puzzle without the picture on the box. I want you to know you're still not better than us, even though you may still use the picture. I've been told that instructions have pictures in them. All the men are laughing. He won't admit it, though. No, I won't. I don't know that instructions are any good. I've never used them. I prefer to do it four times and get it mostly right the fourth time and then just deal with it. And have all the extra screws and nuts and bolts left over. That These are the values of, of pictures, of models for us. And, and what we see is that Jesus came to us as our first ultimate model for imitation. For Hebrews tells us in chapter 12 verse 2 that looking to Jesus who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. There's a reason we look to Jesus and the life that he lived when he walked on the earth. Because this friends is a pattern that God has ordained in the model of the gospel. That that he wants us to be able to see what is being said. And Jesus was the perfect picture of God and, and he is the perfect model of knowing God because the Bible tells us he was the firstborn not only of creation but also of redemption. That doesn't mean he was first in order but first in priority. Like Jesus is God's created intention for us as a human being. 
This is what humanity was intended to look like when God created Adam and Eve in the garden. But sin damned us and condemned us when it expelled us out of the garden. And what the gospel does is looking to Jesus provides for us that ultimate model, not only of who we were created to be, but who God is redeeming us to be. The firstborn of all creation and redemption. And so Paul is exhorting the people to imitate him as he imitates Christ. He says this in Philippians and Corinthians and a number of different places. Why? Because following Jesus is the essence of the Christian life and following others as they follow Jesus is the essence of the very purpose of our life, disciple making. Sometimes we get embarrassed when we need a model, don't we? I'll briefly refer back to my lack of use of instructions. We we don't want to admit that we need help. We'll figure this out on our own. Yes, but we don't have to make every mistake that's always been made. And we can see how God has designed and and ordained for us to live You see, friends, I've asked myself this week, when do we stop imitating those who have gone before us? When do we stop imitating those who have discipled us? And here is my answer as profoundly and deeply as I could imagine and delve in it. I'm not sure. Because I will say this, I still look to people daily in my life to help me understand what it means to live like Jesus And to walk following him. We need one another. That's what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. That that, that we need those models who present for us a provenness of the message. That we might learn to follow after Jesus. A life lived for more Jesus imitates the gospel models that are all around it. Like a GPS that, that strives for greater accuracy, the more number of satellite signals it receives, the stronger the signal, the greater the accuracy. And so it is with the more models of godliness and Christ-likeness and gospel provenness that we have in our life. We walk after Jesus Verse 7, he goes on to say in this gospel pattern, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, or that city and that greater region. You see, as the Thessalonians imitated gospel models, they themselves became examples for others in their own life. Their imitation provided new examples to encourage and to strengthen an ever-expanding and larger network of people. Because the people they knew and the people that they interacted with on a daily basis were people that had not seen the original messengers who came and had not heard the original message. But because they were imitating a model that proved the message, now other people were seeing a new model that started as an imitation. Do 
you see what's happening here? How it is that, that God brings more through the gospel. Because the gospel, friends, forms a community that is centered around Jesus among his followers as we imitate gospel models in accepting and embracing the message. And we become, in and of ourselves, examples to others. Christ follower, God has ordained your life as a point of strength and as a point of encouragement to other believers that are all around you. And I propose this idea to you. It will be far more true than you will ever know long before you ever know it. People are watching us. And especially, especially when we wear the name of Jesus in our life. And the way we live says more about what we believe about God through his son Jesus Christ, than all the elaborate words will ever say. As we follow Christ together, we strengthen one another's faith in Jesus by our own lives. I hope you're seeing the more that God is bringing through the gospel, but I want you to see this, that, that Paul's not done yet. Look at verse 8. He goes on to say that that for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, what is he saying here? That not only have you in your imitation become an example, but now the word of the Lord is sounding forth from you. You're just telling people about what God has done for you through others by the message of the gospel. The very word of God is going out through that such that you've become an example to live the gospel and and examples that live the gospel always serve as a witness who testify to Jesus you see so often our testimony begins just with what has happened in our life and might I remind us and encourage us to understand that our testimony is but a threshold to the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross That there's no better way for us to enter into a conversation about Jesus than to begin by telling what he's done for us. But friends, let's don't ever let that be the end of it. Let the word of God be sounded forth from your testimony. That when you share what God has done for you, you might share that what God has done is for you too. For all who would hear. For that's the potency of the gospel that comes through our witness when we testify. This brings us back to the very beginning that there were lives that proved the gospel message. Were there not? We've come full circle. We've come full circle. You see, the greatest power of our testimony is not that there's somebody among us who knows that the gospel has changed their life and they prove it by the way they live but everyone who comes among us and hears the message and believes actually becomes a witness who testifies to the gospel potency in their life 
and, and more and more God is doing through this. A life that is changed by the gospel always becomes a witness to its power. Every follower of Jesus is a faithful witness to testify to his life-changing power by the gospel. Listen, I could tell you so many facts about the Bible long before I could tell you I've been changed by the message of the Bible. I grew up in a preacher's home. I won speech tournaments that were speeches from the Bible. I won Bible drills. I had ribbons. I had awards. And I'm not negating those things because there was a very real training process that was taking place in me. But friends, I want you to know my intellect was far, far beyond my understanding prior to knowing Jesus. But when the gospel finally got through those layers of hardness that I had built up, all of that understanding was stored once in a dark room and the light came on. And thank God that it did. And how about you? Some people... In the first hearing of anything to do with Jesus, the light comes on. And then some of us are just a lot more stubborn, a lot more hard-hearted, and models of rebellion before we ever become models, witnesses of redemption. How powerful that is. And he says this, the second part of verse 8, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Hey, who was that guy that came through town that time and preached to us? I don't remember his name, but I can't forget what he said. That's what Paul is saying. If you never remember my name, who cares? Don't ever forget the name that we shared that's changed your life. The life that testifies as a faithful witness to Jesus serves as a missioner who sends the gospel to all people. Friends, this is the gospel pattern that I want you to see because in verses two through five, we begin to see how is it that God himself is working for glory in the world. And then we begin to see that through the work of God, the work of the gospel begins to perpetuate and to compound the work of God in the world through his people. And here's what he says. There is a model that proves the gospel's power through those who are preaching it And that model is imitated by those who replicate the gospel's life change. And then those imitators become an example themselves who strengthen others in the gospel pattern of life change. And that example then begins to declare the word of God that catalyzed all of this change to begin with. And they testify to Jesus' power through the gospel. And as they give witness to Jesus' power to change, life. They become missioners who live their lives in such a way so that all people might hear and know Jesus. Friends, this is what I want you to walk away with today. More Jesus fills all of life for all who cultivate faith, love, and hope by a faithful gospel testimony. More Jesus fills all of life for all who cultivate faith, 
love and hope by a faithful gospel testimony. That's how Paul is beginning this. He's, he's remember, he's reflecting years later on what took place in Thessalonica. And he recounts how the gospel among them uh, has led them, taken root in them, if you will, to pursue more Jesus and, and to demonstrate this pattern of how their new life took root among them. There's no doubt that what took place, Paul was not surprised by. But what Paul wanted them to understand is, I don't have to come back to town for more to be a reality for you. That the one who was there before I got there, the one whom we shared, when we arrived and the one who's been there ever since I left is the only one that can bring more and he is the one that wants to do more in you. Friends, this is the very pattern of the defining purpose of the church. This is the pattern of disciple making. This is what we are to be all about as a church, that we are to make disciples. And how do we do that? By the gospel of Jesus Christ as we teach and as people believe and as we model and exemplify and as we testify and as missionaries we send the gospel to an ever-increasing, ever-expanding network of people that touch your lives that don't necessarily immediately know about any other life but that network goes forth as a faithful testimony more than a high intellect more than a hyper emotion or even the reveling of material blessing Christianity produces more faith in your life more love in you and more hope in you when it culminates in obedience to Jesus. You see, more Jesus compounds through one catalyzing gospel testimony, friends. What you're going to hear over and over in this series is this, that what Jesus has more for you of is more faith to believe him, so that you trust and obey him. You see, a lot of you know a lot about Jesus. And, and your, your knowledge is increasing, and that's important. But, but friends, the gospel never stops at knowledge. Obedience is the aim of God's instruction for us. Obedience. And some of you, even today, God is speaking very specifically to you about areas of your life, areas of your heart, attitudes, patterns of thinking, relationships, situations, circumstances. I mean, we could cover the gamut here, and he's calling you to trust him, maybe for the first time for some of you, but for all of us, yet again, because there's never a pattern of walking with Jesus that doesn't begin by faith. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Faith's not the threshold of the Christian life, friends. Faith is the very lifeblood of the Christian life. And God wants to give you more faith to follow him so that you know him, experience him more intimately in your life. He wants to fill your life with more love than you could imagine. You say, love? What do you mean? I mean the kind of love that overwhelms whatever questions whatever heartaches, whatever hurts, whatever harms, whatever helps, whatever encouragements, whatever successes you may have, when you look at all of those things in the light of gospel of Jesus Christ, you would be filled with love to such a matter to go, you know what, it's all because of him.
And as long as I have him, I have more than I'll ever need. I have all that I could ever want. God wants to fill you with this overwhelming, overflowing experience of his love every day as you walk with him. And God is laboring for more through the gospel in your life. Hope of hope. A steadfast hope that is unwavering. That regardless of the storms or, like last night, the winds that blow against you, your life is anchored to one that does not move. More faith, more love, more hope. Wherever you need it, wherever you're asking for it, however you need it to come. God wants more for your life. And he wants it through a faithful gospel testimony. Let me just share with you in verses 9 and 10, three parts of a faithful gospel testimony. First of all, verse 9 tells us, For they themselves report concerning us, Paul says, the kind of reception we had among you. And here it is, how you turn to God from idols. Friends, the first aspect of a faithful gospel testimony always begins with repentance. It's a testimony of saving faith. Every faithful gospel testimony begins when one turns to God from idols. That's, a, that's a, 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 just a fundamental definition of repentance. To God from idols. Yes, it is a 180, but it is not a definitive turning away from something with a nebulous or unknown turning to something else. The reason you leave the idol is because there is a greater glory in which you are pursuing, and that is filling your heart. Every faithful gospel testimony begins with this. Now, you might say, well, what is an idol? Because I don't have, um, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, a, um, a round bald guy sitting on my um, mantle at home. Incidentally, just this last week, I had a kid tell me, you know, you look like my dad, round and bald. Thank you. I took the essence of what I wanted to believe that person meant more than the actual words that it did mean. Friends, what is an idol? Because so often we conceptualize it in such a way that it's really not even near our life. It's something we don't deal with. But actually, it's, it's far more than that. An idol is anything that invites your trust by promising acceptance or accomplishment. By promising security and safety, by promising to you protection and provision. An idol comes from any area where we seek our identity and that reinforces the sufficiency of ourself. Idols are not only individual, they're cultural too, because so often we find comfort, we find security in the flow of the mass, do we not? Anything that we champion culturally, anything that we celebrate, anywhere we find pleasure or comfort, even the things in which we find commonality can easily become an idol. 
Now, sometimes idols arise quickly by giving solutions to immediate problems, and it seems like that saved the day, or, or maybe some grand saving act that comes in the midst of a hard situation. But more often, idols arise from good things that ever so subtly begin to increase and demand our time, our energy, and our money, such that they begin to consume our affections and our attention. And then before we know it, we've spent far more resources for far too little return of what it can do, what it can provide for us. You see, an idol is any worldly source that promises what only God can provide and substitutes as our first love to steal God's glory from our life. That's an idol. And friends, the essence of saving faith begins in confessing where we seek glory as a substitute for God's glory. Idolatry is just simply seep can be either seeking an object that is other than God or, listen to me, idolatry, which more typically happens this way than the other, just simply is a practice for glory. We may not even fully identify the object, but just fully immerse and indulge in the practice because we're looking for strength, for power, for intellect for beauty, for pleasure, for accomplishment. All of these things are individual expressions of glory and ways that we steal glory from God. Anything that promises glory or any activity that promises the reward of glory other than God's way is only a temptation for idolatry. And the only right response to idolatry is repentance, turning to God from the idol. That's why Paul is celebrating that they received the message in great affliction. Why? Because the message didn't come just to solve their affliction. The affliction remained and even intensified by persecution. You see, affliction and suffering are always things in this life that cause us to question the presence of goodness and the reality of glory for us. And as the gospel was preached, even in the midst of what Paul says was severe affliction and severe suffering and an increasing persecution that actually becomes a source of affliction and suffering, they believed in Jesus. You see, friends, worldly affluence and, and luxury caters to personal desires to make us think in some way we can avoid or get out of worldly affliction. And a heart that is full of affluence and luxury is seldom receptive soil to the gospel message. Even Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 and 24, that only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, he's speaking to the rich young ruler who's come to him and said, you know what, dude, I've done everything you told me to do. What more must I do to enter into heaven? And Jesus said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come, follow me. Now, why did Jesus tell him that? For one reason, because that was the very thing that was creating the layers of hardness 
to keep his heart from believing the message of the gospel. Jesus goes on to say in reflection of this, I tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Friends, I want you to know that verse is horrible news for us in America. Horrible news for us. And it should shake us to our bones. Because affliction and suffering remind us of our true nature, of our own inability and insufficiency. And as one commentator says, affliction has always been the lot of true disciples of Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus is to receive and accept affliction. You see, often in affliction and in suffering, that's when God speaks the loudest. And the gospel comes in the midst of affliction and suffering to reveal that nothing can thwart God's good gift of life, of peace, of love, of joy, of faith, and of hope. Affliction and suffering either makes the soil of our heart receptive to God's love in the gospel or like water on dirt, it hardens us in disbelief to reject. Jesus. You see, it's not the things of this world that are killing us. It's what we're allowing the things of the world to cause us to believe that's killing us. And that was Jesus' point to the rich young ruler. It wasn't the riches that were wrong. It was the way he held them in his heart that were wrong. No matter how long you follow Jesus, a faithful gospel testimony always begins with repentance of turning to God from idols, even and especially as you mature as a Christian. You see, in Christian maturity, it can best be measured by when you consistently fight idolatry and temptation to sin more at the root of that idol's hold in your heart than just at the manifestation of its fruit. When you're reminded of it because it just happened. No, as we mature as believers, we move from not being satisfied to living out false hope, but rather fighting it where it begins within. And I want to ask you today, have you turned from the idols of your heart and of your life to trust in Jesus? And do you even know what idols are tempting you? Let me tell you how. You can identify what is most likely your idols by looking at your calendar and looking at your bank account, and looking at what consumes your thoughts, your attentions, and your energies. And here's what you should do with that, friends. Don't just look at your checkbook and go, take it away, God, take it away. Not that I'm worried everybody's going to walk out of here and do that. You shouldn't just look at your calendar and go, take it away, God, take it away. That's, mm -mm. no, that's morbid, right? What are we to do then? If the way you practice these things doesn't honor Christ as Lord, as first in your life, or the way in which you think about them does not align with his word. You can know that it is an idol that is stealing away from God's glory and substituting a lesser glory. Might I just give you one final caveat in regards to idols? First, Idols often come from the good things in life 
and our practice towards them. Idols will never provide the provision, the protection, or the pleasure that they promise. But they will always destroy the person whose life they inhabit. The second aspect of a faithful gospel testimony is the testimony of a life-transforming love. He says this, you turn to God from idols, and then he says, to serve the living and true God. Friends, the change experienced was not only on how they thought, felt, and acted, but far more. Their lives were no longer lived for the things of the world nor for themselves. The gospel changed their whole life. Instead of living for the things of the world, they lived in the world but not of it. In other words, they took the things of this world and they brought them to bear upon the glory of God and they used all things for his glory so that now their whole life served God. You see, the second part of a faithful gospel testimony is how it is that God's love transforms us from the inside out. There won't ever be a better explanation in this world for being set free from the bondage of sin than managing your money in a way that the world doesn't fully understand to bring honor and glory to someone other than you. There won't ever be a way in the world where the world can fully explain what it means for you to just give yourself up and to serve in order to love other people. Oh yeah, you need to carve out a little niche of time that culturally accommodates so you are a doer of good deeds and the culture says, good for you. But when you begin to sacrificially give of yourself in ways that oftentimes many others won't see initially and don't fully understand, but you live in in all ways and at all times to bring a faithful gospel testimony to serve God through that testimony more than you're serving yourself. The world's going to look at you and be baffled by you and go, why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's what this life-transforming love is all about. That through the gospel, God's love fills us so that we respond by serving him with our whole life. Our whole life. Everything puts God first. Not only in what it is, but in the way that it comes about. Loving God is never only about a feeling or, or a thought, but it centers our life upon the gospel so that Christ is Lord in all domains and realms. And the gospel redeems so our whole life is lived to demonstrate love for God by serving him. The third aspect of this testimony is the testimony of sustaining hope. Verse 10 says, So that you would wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, shared testimony of sustaining hope in the world because of our hope being anchored in God's eternal promise is one that the world will never fully comprehend, but everyone is dying to know. A hope that does not begin in this world cannot be substantiated or sustained by it. For the only hope for the Christian to thrive in the world is to know that our hope does not reside in this world. Our hearts will be filled by that which consumes our eyes. And if the world's consuming our eyes, it will fill our hearts. But if our eyes stay set on Jesus, he will fill our life. I need to stop for today. Have you turned to God from the idols of your life? Do you know what they are? Are you serving God with your whole life? 
in this pattern of gospel redemption and power that God wants to bring more? Are you experiencing a hope that sustains you regardless of the affliction or suffering that is set on you? More Jesus fills the life of all who cultivate it. More faith, love, and hope by a faithful gospel testimony. Will you pray with me?